0: Did the early Mormons enter into covenants to take down the United States government? We'll talk about that more next on Polygamy. What love is this? Endowment and temple oaths which are required for every single Mormon who goes through their rituals are different today than they were 30 years ago. And in fact, changes have been made to them since the very beginning and they were declared to be unchangeable at the beginning, which is normal with all things Mormon. Changes have been made and continue to be made in areas that are dramatic and radical and this is troubling. Because the God of the Bible doesn't change or change his mind. So why, if Mormonism is God's kingdom, why does it change? Essentials that were preached from the Mormon pulpit just a few decades ago are now being said to have been just folklore or jargon. And, and there was much fear uh, and anger of non-Mormons against the Mormons in the early days. And most of it was because of their ungodly practices like polygamy, and some of it was because they preached from their pulpits that any government that wasn't a Mormon theocracy was not a valid government. And that God would soon destroy the, the uh, non-Mormon United States government and then install the Mormon leader as president of both the Mormon Church and the the government of America. Very proud people. (laughs) Very much so. Now that kind of preaching alienated the non-Mormons from the Mormons and so did their polygamy and after Joseph Smith's death they began taking oaths of vengeance against the United States government. No doubt there are many in Mormonism who have never heard of this before but it's true. One very good book to read about these things is entitled One Nations Under Gods, (laughs) and it has all the footnotes and references um, of the statements that it makes. Very reliable, and our first quote comes from that book.
1: Page 332. Were church and state truly separate in Utah? Did the church control the conduct of its members? Did it encourage polygamy and illegal cohabitation? Did any temple oath supersede a Mormon's loyalty to the American government? All of these questions were at the heart of the Reed-Smoot hearings held by the Senate Committee on Privileges and Elections. The investigation would last three years, produce more than 3,000 pages of transcribed testimony, and bring out information on the history, theology, and culture of Mormonism.
0: Now the main concern was they had Utah had voted Senator Smoot right. uh, uh, to enter the Senate but they wondered if they could be tr- if he could be trusted as a as a loyal member of Congress loyal to America because many Mormon leaders were sworn enemies of the United States and that concerned Congress as well it should have. Joseph Smith said this in December of 1843.
1: A yeah, bold statement. I prophesied by virtue of the holy priesthood vested in me and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that if Congress will not hear our petition and grant us protection, they shall be broken up as a government and God shall damn them. And there shall be nothing left of them, not even a grease spot. <laughs>
0: not even a grease spot. <laughs> Well, 1843 to 2018 is 175 years, and Joseph Smith has been dead, 174 of those years. And not only is the United States of America much more than a grief spot today, as predicted by Joseph Smith, it is the strongest, most powerful nation on the planet. The early Mormons disliked the United States government and often did not hesitate to clearly say so. And they incorporated that hatred into their temple vows. In 1850, Joseph Smith's brother, William, sent to Congress the wording of the Mormon's oath to avenge Joseph Smith's death. This is the oath.
1: Now from page 333, You do solemnly swear in the presence of Almighty God that you will avenge the blood of Joseph Smith upon this nation, and so teach your children that you will, from this henceforth and forever, begin and carry out hostilities against this nation and keep the same a profound secret now and forever, so help you God. Woo.
0: Yeah. That's why Congress was upset. Yeah, John D. Lee, in his book, Confessions of John D. Lee, related that he had witnessed Brigham Young himself taking the oath of vengeance and admonishing others to do the same. We came across another booklet recently, and it's entitled, The Inside of Mormonism, a Judicial Examination of Endowment Oaths Administered in All the Mormon Temples, and it's by the United States District Court, uh, distributed by Forgotten Books wow. and a description a description of the contents of this little booklet goes like this.
1: In this booklet are transcripts of testimonies from the 3rd Judicial District of the Territory of Utah in the matter of John Moore et al. Et al. to become citizens of the United States at a hearing commencing November 14, 1889 before Honorable Thomas J. Anderson, Judge.
0: Now we thought it would be interesting to share some of the testimonies from this 1889 court records, and we are quite certain that it's likely that there's very few of our viewers, whether they're LDS or polygamists, that even know these things actually took place in their own church history. Never heard
1: of this. You
0: never heard of any no, of it. No. Interesting. There was a man by the name of John Moore who had made application for United States citizenship, but there were objections to his application because he, as a member of the LDS Church, had been taken through the endowment house and had taken required oaths of obligation which were incompatible with the required oath to become a United States citizen. Actually, there were several men involved in this application for citizenship during this time. Sure. The first testimony that we present was of John Bond, who himself went through the endowment house in 1858. Now please understand, this is all public court record. This is his testimony.
1: Not hearsay kind of
0: thing. Not hearsay.
1: (laughs) This confined me to believe every doctrine that was taught by the Mormon Church, especially against the government of the United States as I understood it. The penalty of divulging that I was to have my throat cut from ear to ear and my tongue torn out. I was required to hold my hands to high heaven in the presence of those there that they might see that I granted this act to be done. This is the first as far as I can remember. The second one I was put under was to avenge the blood of the prophets against the government of the United States, teach that to my children and my children's children from generation to generation to generation and everlastingly keep after them. The penalty, I believe, was that the heart or the bowels would be torn out, something to that effect, so far as my memory will carry me.
0: Now well, that's pretty bad. Yeah, that's bad. He went on to say that he was required to support Mormon priesthood in everything, religiously, socially, politically, domestically, and financially. He said there were about 50 other men and women who were there the same day that he took his oath and that it was Wilford Woodruff who administered the oath. And then he testified the following.
1: I have been sorry ever since that he put me under such obligations, but the following year I apostatized from the church. I wouldn't tolerate it. I was under obligation to sustain and uphold the subject of polygamy. The question was put to my wife with other women, are you willing to allow your husbands to have more wives than one? All those that are in favor of that say aye. Contrary, no, they were all eyes. There was an obligation to keep that within ourselves as a secret It was not to be revealed outside of our own people.
0: And you know what? uh, So much secrecy going on in all of this, of course. And the women had to say they would support polygamy. They had to say it. They couldn't say no. No. It just wasn't something that they would dare do. Now we go to Martin D. Wardell's testimony. He was a 67-year-old man, a native of England. He became a Mormon, came to the United States, and uh, later to Utah in 1862. And he went through the endowment house about a year later, and he went through more than once. This is his testimony, or part of it, I should say.
1: (laughs) After we were taught a good many things that had transpired, the oath was taken that we should avenge the blood of Joseph Smith on this nation, down from the president to the last man. And after we had done that, we took another oath that if we divulged any of the secrets, we should have our throats cut and our bowels ripped out, that is to be teached to our children, to the children and to the children's children down to the third and fourth generation. Boy, that's bad. Did
0: you know all this when you were a Mormon?
1: <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> I'd what? heard of the avenging of the blood of Joseph Smith, but I... Th- I knew that had changed, I guess, but I didn't realize it was... You know
0: all of this? So. No. Well, later, Mr. Wardell talked with his wife and told her they had done wrong by taking those oaths. And after about three or four years, they also left the church. The court asked Mr. Wardell if he ever saw the penalty inflicted. And he said that he had in the latter mm. part of 1862 about 20 miles this side of Green River. The penalty was inflicted upon a man by the name of Green. We quote from page 14.
1: They pulled the man out of the wagon by the coat, and he stood on his feet, and he hadn't stood more than about three minutes until a man took him by the hair of the head, and the other cut his throat. And when he had laid down, they opened his clothes and took a belt off him with $5,000. When we commenced to make trouble about it, John W. Young told us, If we didn't shut our mouths, they would serve us out the same and leave us for the wolves to eat.
0: Now that's to inspire fear, right? Yes. Those who deny that blood atonement was never an LDS church practice are not being truthful. Testimonies like this one are in official court records, also in journals of many early Mormons and in their sermons.
1: Find this on page 15. The court asked Mr. Wardell, was there anything in that oath or obligation which you took about apostasy from the church? Mr. Wardell answered the court, yes, you should have your throat cut and your bowels ripped out.
0: Now, I ask, (laughs) can this really be a church of Jesus Christ? as they claim that it is. There's no biblical foundation for any of this behavior, and the Old Testament temple never required secret oaths of avenging blood. A restoration restores back to the original. Mormonism is no restoration. The next testimony was from Bishop Andrew Cahoon. He had become a Mormon in 1832 and had been a Mormon bishop for 18 years. Mm. He had received his endowments 43 years past, When he was asked about the oaths to avenge the blood of the prophet upon the nation, his testimony affirmed previous witnesses. When the court questioned him about the penalties, he confirmed that they consisted of having the throat cut from ear to ear, tearing out the heart or tongue, or disembowelment. We quote.
1: They forfeited their lives if they apostatized. There was fearful penalties. One was for divulging anything received, another for disobeying the priesthood, they were to yield implicit obedience to the priesthood.
0: Notice how they used the fear of the priesthood, which held all power, by the way, to force obedience of the members in the secrecy. Bishop Cahoon was cross-examined by Mr. LeGrand Young, who asked about the attitude of the Mormon church toward the government and again confirmed the oath to avenge Joseph Smith's blood and he said this.
1: We were instructed to devote our entire allegiance to the kingdom of God in every way. The instructions of the priesthood were first and highest. The highest obligation a man could hold was to obey the priesthood. I considered the teachings, the general teachings of the church in hostility to the laws of the land. Yielding implicit allegiance to the priesthood brought them frequently into collision with the laws of the land.
0: <laughs> and yet in their creed, in their articles of faith, very clearly states that they will obey the laws of the land. That's right. Mr. C- Cahoon also testified that it was considered no crime to steal from those who oppose the church. They called them Gentiles because they were the enemies of the kingdom of God. Well, we don't need to wonder why the polygamy groups behave as they do these days. Their Apple doesn't fall far <laughs> no. from the tree, does it? No. They're fundamentalists. And they believe and behave much like the original Mormons did. Well, on page 48 of this little book, it says that some witnesses were unwilling to testify to any facts, which they did by evasion or pretended ignorance or pretended defective memory, uh, subterfuge, and downright contradictions. A few prominent witnesses illustrated the trend, and others took their cue and followed their examples. One of them was John Henry Smith's testimony. He was 41 years old, born in the Mormon church to Mormon parents. He testified like this.
1: Page 44. Question, is there any covenant or oath or affirmation made by or required of those passing through there that they will avenge the blood of the prophets on this nation or its people or against the government of the United States? Answer, I absolutely declare that there was no such oath or such covenant, no such bond entered into by me, nor did I ever administer such an oath, covenant, or bond to any man.
0: Well, he was bearing false witness. Yes, he was. Everyone who went through the temple were required to take the oaths. Earlier, witnesses had testified to it, and the blood oaths of secrecy were required up until as recently as 1990. Now, John Henry was further examined about his belief in Mormon polygamy.
1: Question, do you believe in the revelation of celestial marriage? Answer, yes, sir. Question, do you understand that revelation to be to this effect that if the first wife refuses to consent to her husband taking a second wife, she shall be damned? Answer, I understand that principle. A good many women have taken that chance. Under the Mormon theory, they shall be damned. Question, what part of that revelation do you reject? Answer, I accept the whole revelation. Question, if you felt it your duty to take a second living wife for time as well as for eternity, and your first wife withheld her consent, would you not yield obedience to the will of God and take a second wife? Answer, yes, sir, if I felt to do it.
0: There's there you, there you go. Now, of course, there's much more information in this little booklet about this particular judicial examination, which we don't have time for all of it. But his testimony shows that uh, they bore false witness to fulfill and protect ungodly oaths of secrecy. Yep. So they lied on the witness stand so that they could fulfill their oaths of secrecy in the temple. So what holds the highest degree of allegiance to those Mormons? Their secret oaths obviously influenced their lying testimonies. Another witness was examined, Dr. Heber John Richards. He also claimed that there was no covenant to avenge the blood of the prophets. They often lied for the Lord which was part and parcel of being in early Mormonism and which polygamists today continue to do. However, to be sure, God has no expectations of us lying for him. He can take care of himself. And besides that, Jesus said that the devil is the father of lies and Jesus came to to destroy the devil's work, not support it. Dr. Richards was questioned about apostasy and blood atonement and some of it went like this.
1: Question. Well, doctor, it has been stated upon the witness stand that those covenants were taken and the penalty understood to be that if a man apostatized from the church, the duty of those who had been through the endowment house was to go and murder him or kill him. Did you ever hear anything of that sort? Answer. No, sir. I can explain to you what I understood by that was simply this. That after I had become a member of the church, if I then fell away, I could get remission if I went voluntarily and asked for the atonement of my blood, but not without it. It must come by my desire. If I was killed against my will, it would do me no good. Question. And it would be appropriate when they made the request for some brother to shed his blood? Answer. Yes. Question. And it wouldn't be murder? Answer, it wouldn't be murder. It would be murder probably in the eyes of the law, but not in the eyes of the church. Question, and that was taught. Answer, that was taught.
0: So blood atonement was taught and practiced in early Mormonism? One concern is obvious. Can any LDS politician, even today, who has taken a Mormon oath of allegiance which they still do in the temple can they be trusted to put our Constitution first rather than their oath to put the Mormon priesthood first what about taking the required oath of public office does it take second place to the oaths they take in the Mormon temple also we need to point out that these activities are not Christian (laughs) and why does all this matter now Well, it's been over 150 years. The LDS Church no longer calls itself Enemies of the United States. In fact, they're some of its most loyal citizens. But they still take temple oaths swearing first allegiance to their church. And Mormon fundamentalists continue to disregard the rule of law of the United States of America. If they don't like a law, they ignore it or claim that God has given them a higher law. Early Mormonism is the foundation of today's Mormonism. They still practice deceit and still lie to their members and to the world at large about their history. And Jesus said not to take religious oaths and the Bible tells us that Jesus himself never taught anything in secret. Wouldn't his genuine followers do as he did and just be honest and forthright in everything? So my question would be at this point, I know you went through the temple up until sure. how many when was the last year that you went through
1: uh, we went through actually the the year we left 2011
0: 2011 yeah. so you would have taken those oaths of allegiance
1: yeah well and we took them we took the, we were there before the 1990 change as well so uh-huh. I, I went on my mission in 1965 mm-hmm. so I went through the temple that so did you then. take the blood so I went through and a, a, did the the did the symbolism of cutting my throat or Mm -hmm. emptying my bowels or something. And and promising to give everything I had, time, talents, energy, and everything with which the Lord has blessed me
0: to the building of of the kingdom of God. So what does a Mormon politician do? I mean, you know, when somebody gets, especially in a high maybe Washington, D.C. position.
1: Like most Mormons, they compartmentalize. They just rationalize their way into different compartments, and when they're a politician, they speak. A Mormon can really speak out of both sides of their mouth. I mean, we learned that early on doing temple recommend interviews or any time we're asked, you know, we're, we're sinners, and we don't know it. <laughs> we, we think we're good people, and, and um, I just think we have an ability to compartmentalize.
0: So you really honestly don't Rationals. realize that that you're contradicting in some areas. No,
1: I don't I don't think we actually put two and two together that way.
0: Yeah. 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 The next uh, couple I mean, of shows... The big,
1: the big question would be is if the prophet of the church ever came out and said, you are going to now practice polygamy or you are going to not follow the Constitution, you're going to follow me mm-hmm. as a prophet. That... Line in the sand would be a tough one.
0: Well, but that's what they've th- th- uh, sworn to do in their temple oath that they would follow the church.
1: Right. I mean, but it's easy to sit, stand there, raise your arm, and say yes or I it. will, and then to actually have to do it. Yeah. Uh, I think that's one of the conflicts that some people have, or at least theoretically think about the church actually implementing polygamy again. For and,
0: and and polygamy w- probably would wouldn't have as much trouble doing that as uh, church members would. Yeah, I think I think
1: it'll cause a stir for sure.
0: Well, if the prophets
1: said the, we're going to start practicing polygamy
0: again. But. Well, no what I mean is if, oh. if the allegiance that they swear to uphold the allegiance their their first allegiance to the polygamy group, oh. they would not have second questions or second thoughts about ever doing that. You know, or most of them, they're loyal.
1: Laws of the land.
0: Yeah. yeah. The the next couple of shows we're going to do is about the um, All Red Polygamy Group and their temple. And, and uh, some of the things that they do, which is which are copies of what the LDS Church temple really? temples were. So we'll talk about how the polygamists deal with this and how they've been dealing with it. Um, now, some polygamists don't have temples; some do, and they'll they will do their secret ceremonies in people's homes or special designated no. homes. But that's
1: well. And the church even did that, like you were saying, in the Endowment House, mm-hmm. uh, where the temple hadn't been completed until right. 1894, and they mm-hmm. were still here for. 30, 40, 50 years without the temple, so they were.
0: Their endowment house was a very endowment. busy place. Yeah. It was a very busy place. Well, thank you, Earl. I appreciate it again. Appreciate your help again.
1: Fascinating stuff. It's an interesting Thanks. history, huh? yeah.
0: Since the United States became a free country, its citizens have always treasured patriotism, even used to teach patriotic attitudes in at school. But Mormonism, including the polygamists, have always held allegiance and loyalty to their church first and above all else. They have contrived creeds and oaths that bind members to rigid allegiance and threaten violence to our country with strict penalties if the oaths are broken. But religion that requires secret oaths and of allegiance to them first is wrong. In fact, Jesus sets us free from religion and church organization and dogmatism because religions load people down with their own useless requirements. But Jesus tells us that he came to set us free, free from our sins and from religious burdens. And if Jesus sets us free, indeed we are free. So why not pursue and trust the freedom that only Jesus can provide? Thank you for sharing your time with us. 425